Great to be here uh, this morning. Uh, wonderful um, to see those kids getting de uh, dedicated and wonderful to have these two balloons up front as well. Um, yeah, it's so good to be here. As we continue in our, um, our series, Not Home Yet, uh, we use that phrase, don't we? Uh, there's something about home. It was a phrase that Dave, uh, Pastor Dave, used a couple of weeks ago as he was introducing this series in John 17. There's something about home. I think Dave had been on a, on a holiday, staying in some sort of fancy motel with, you know, those really white sheets and the, the pillows that are too hard. And his illustration was that, you know, there's something about coming home and you get in your own bed and it just feels good. You, you put your head on your own pillow, you know, it's years of work to get that pillow right, isn't it? Um, you know, and it's something about home uh, with that pillow. I know for me, uh, when I think about home, it's interesting actually, there's a whole kind of series of homes that I think of, because I've actually lived in a, in a few different homes over my lifetime. Uh, I think about um, my current home, obviously, just out in Juniton. Um, I love my current home. We've got some space where the kids can run around. But one of the wonderful things I kind of relate to my current home is when I drive home in my ute after the day, um, my kids run out of the house and they say, Dad, Dad, you're home. And they give me a big hug. It's just wonderful. It's a memory that sits uh, with my home at the moment. I remember our, our previous home uh, back in Long Gully. Uh, it was a wonderful place. And we remember that home because it was a place where we had just beautiful neighbours. It was a place where all our kids were uh, born, except for Jace. Uh, and, um, yeah, we just have such fond memories of that particular home. I remember the uh, overpriced, tiny little townhouse that Laura and I lived in in Sydney uh, before we had kids. Uh, it was home because we had so many memories of friends coming around to visit and just creating wonderful relationships while we were spending all our money on rent. I remember my childhood home. I grew up on a farm in, out just outside Gundagai. If you grew up on a farm, you'd remember all those kind of little spaces where you played as a kid and... Um, but particularly I remember our dining room table uh, where we grew up uh, with meals and conversations with my mum and dad. There's something about home, isn't there? When you hear that phrase, I wonder if something comes to your mind. There's something about home. I find it a really interesting phrase though because we rarely stop to actually ask the question, well, what is it <laughs> about home? We say that saying, right? There's something about home, but what is the thing uh, that actually makes it home? Uh, I think it's probably different for each one of us, but, but I, I wonder if when we say that saying, what we mean is that when home is really good, when we have one of those, those kind of moments where everything is just kind of feels right, you know, you're having dinner with people that you love, you're laughing with friends, you have that sense of rest or peace. Your soul is somewhat kind of satisfied. I wonder if it's just those really wonderful moments of life that we're trying to pick up on on that phrase. There's something about home. 
There's been some people who have written about this type of thing. There's a guy called Royce and Harris, and a quote will come up on the board, but he reflects on these kind of wonderful moments of life. And he, and he says that those kind of really beautiful moments, we call them home because he says they're actually kind of glimpses of our true home, of heaven. Little tiny experiences that we get now, those wonderful moments that actually kind of awaken our hearts to our true home in heaven. Now let me read his quote. He says this, I think it's beautiful. He says, it happens every time I stare into a radiant sunset or when I gaze upon the beauty of a warm technicolored beach. I feel it in the joy that comes from family, fellowship, food and fun. Or when I hear the contagious laughter of my son giggling uncontrollably on the bedroom floor. It is in those moments that my soul is altogether satisfied and yet strangely lacking. Almost as if I get a glimpse, but not the full substance. C.S. Lewis, uh, who you'd know, uh, probably... Uh, from the Narnia series, if not one of his books, um, he says something very similar when he says, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. What those guys are saying there is that there is somewhere kind of deep within our being, in our hearts, in our in our soul, uh, where there's this kind of longing or, or a desire for our true home, the place that we were made for, uh, the place where everything is good, where people are, are unified, where, where love and only love exist all the time. Our heart longs for a world, doesn't it, that's not marred with brokenness and hurt like we experience so often in our current world. And what these guys are saying in their quotes is that those kind of really wonderful moments that we experience in life, you know, the, the time when the kids run out and hug us, when we're just enjoying a meal and a laugh together. He's saying those wonderful moments of love and unity, they're like little glimpses of heaven, little, little foretastes that awaken our hearts for our true home of heaven. And you know, today in our text in John chapter 17, in this wonderful chapter where Jesus prays, what Jesus prays for today is that the experience of love and unity that believers in him will forever enjoy in our eternal home of heaven, that experience of love and unity that we will always have in our true home, Jesus prays that that won't just be something in the future, but it will be something that we experience now in reality. If you've been here over the past few weeks, uh, you'll know that we're in this series in John 17 uh, called Not Home Yet. And over the past few weeks, uh, we've been reading this incredible prayer of Jesus. If you've got a Bible there or a device, you might want to look up John chapter 17. And Jesus' prayer in John 17, you can see there on the screen, it actually falls in three parts that build one on the other. Uh, you see in verses 1 to 5, Jesus prays firstly for himself. He's about to head to the cross uh, and he prays that as he goes to the cross, he would glorify God the Father through his work, his obedient work of going to the cross for the salvation of all people. 
In verses 6 to 19, Jesus then changes from praying for himself to praying for his apostles, the, the ones that he will send out with the message of the gospel. AJ showed us this last week. He prayed that, that they would be protected as they take out the wonderful news that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, all those who come to him can be healed of their broken relationship with God. That our sins can be forgiven because Jesus died for us. That we can have hope of an eternal life, an eternal home, because Jesus rose for us. Jesus prayed that they would take that message out and they'd be protected. And today, in the next few verses in our text today, in verses 20 to 26, Jesus prays for all those who will believe in that message. So you see who he's praying for there, don't you? Just before Jesus goes to the cross, who does he stop and pray for? He prays for you. He prays for me. He prays for all those who through the ages would believe in the message of the gospel, the message of the cross. And he prays for us. That's kind of incredible, isn't it? That 20 centuries ago, 2,000 years ago, Jesus stopped and prayed for us. It will come up on the screen. Here is Jesus' prayer for us. My prayer is not for them alone. That's the apostles. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that the world, uh, I'm sorry, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those who you have given to be with me where I am. And to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. It's an incredible prayer, isn't it? That Jesus prays. In verse 24, you see it there if you've got it in front of you. Verse 24, Jesus says really clearly that he wants us to be with him, to be where he is. He wants us to come home. But particularly in verses 20 to 23 that I want to look at closely today, he prays that as we live in this world, as we're not home yet, he prays that we as Christians would live in unity and in love because when we do that, then the world will know him. Today we're going to think about unity, we're going to think about love, and we're going to think about mission. So firstly, unity. Unity is a bit of a tricky subject, isn't it? Uh, I don't know if you've ever given it much of a thought uh, to think about the unity of the church, not just our particular uh, church sitting here today, but maybe the wider church. Um, it's easy 
to kind of kind of look out at the, at the world and the Australian church, the worldwide church, and, and maybe conclude that there's not much unity at all. Um, if you look around our city, you look around our, our state, um, you see that there's splits and divisions. Uh, we see that there's all these different denominations. Um, and, and I guess the question we kind of have to ask is, well, what do we make of that, right? What, what do we make of that? You know, 2,000 years after Jesus prayed this prayer that we would be united, verse 21, we saw it there, that they would be one just as he and the Father are one, uh, you and me and I and you. That's the language that, that Jesus uses. Um, what do we make of this, right? But maybe the, the other question is, well, what does Jesus actually mean there in verse 21 when he says that we would be united as he and the Father are united. Um, what, what I think he's saying is he's actually saying something like this. Uh, I think he's saying that as God is one, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as God exists in kind of differing uh, persons who are perfectly united together, as God exists in the Trinity, as they relate to one another, I think what he's saying is that the Trinity is actually the model for how the church ought to have unity. Let me have a crack at kind of explaining what I just said. I'm not going to try and give a full explanation of the Trinity. I think a few weeks ago, Trina said the same thing about the Holy Spirit, right? She said, I'm not going to have a full... But um, what I want us to do, particularly from these verses, is see three things about the Trinity, about how God relates to one another in difference that actually show us something about unity and I think is a model for how the church ought to be living today. See, firstly, I think we see here in verse 21, uh, Jesus says the Father and the Son are united, right? And so the question is, how is it that the Father and the Son are united? Jesus says there in verse 21, just as you are in me, talking to his Father, just as the Father is in me and I am in you, right? How is it that the Father and the Son are one? How is it they, that they are united? Well, I take it it's by the Holy Spirit, isn't it? It's actually the Spirit of God that, that connects them, that unites them. Um, even though, though Jesus, uh, here in John 17, is physically in Jerusalem, uh, and the Father is in heaven, they are united. Uh, the Spirit unites them, connects them. And it's actually the same for us, as believers, uh, if you're someone who believes in Jesus, uh, then you have the Holy Spirit, right? You have the Spirit within you. But Paul also says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, a really incredible verse, uh, Ephesians 2, verse 6, he says that by the Spirit of God, you have been, past tense, you have been raised and seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, right? So do you see what he's saying? He's saying that by the Spirit of God, we are already gathered as one in heaven around the throne of grace. So we are already one church by the Spirit in heaven. That's the spiritual reality of all believers. And I take it, actually, that that's why Christian unity, when it happens here on earth, feels so good. Because it's actually a little glimpse of what's already going on, the reality in heaven. It's a little taste of home. You know, last week, um, I had a real privilege to be able to gather 
uh, together with a group of pastors and, and leaders, ministry leaders um, here in our town uh, in Bendigo. And we met actually in order um, to pray for our city, to pray for Bendigo, to pray that uh, we might be able to work together to reach the lost for Jesus in our city. And it was a really beautiful time where people from all different denominations just came together and prayed. Pastor Dave was there and he was leading in that space, suggesting ways that we could work together. And I gotta say, it was just really wonderful to pray together. Pray as one, as unity. Pray for mission, pray for the lost. It was a little glimpse of heaven. We are united in heaven, right? That's the spiritual reality. But by the Spirit, uh, we are one church. I take it, though, that it's not just one church in heaven, though, right? We're, I take it that as we keep looking into this, we actually see that we're also meant to be one church on earth, right? As we live here, as we are not home yet. Because like the Trinity, even though we kind of are different, we all have one goal. We all have one purpose. And so we ought to be united around that. If you remember, um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Dave showed us back in verse 1 of chapter 17, um, that wonderful verse where Jesus said to his Father, he said, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they are unified in what particular way? I take it that they are unified in their purpose because their purpose is to glorify each other. Their purpose is to, to lift one another up so that the world might be healed and restored as they see him. I take it it's, it's particularly to hold Jesus up, right? So that the world might see him and come to acknowledge him as Lord. There is oneness in God, right, as they work together for the purpose of glorifying one another. And so I take it that there ought to be oneness in us, the church on earth, as we work together to help people see Jesus, as we lift him up and make him known. Just like the Father and the Son and the Spirit are all different, uh, they all have differing roles, um, the Father, for, the, for instance, in verse 21, what do you see in verse 21? Um, the Father is the one who sends the Son into the world to save the world. The Son then has a different role. The Son is the one who is sent into the world and he comes and he accomplishes the work of salvation through his death and resurrection. Uh, and then the Spirit has a differing role as well, right? The Father and the Son both send the Spirit, and the Spirit is the one who comes to complete the work of salvation by giving us faith and belief. They all have different roles, right? But do you see the same purpose? The Father plans and sends. The Son goes and accomplishes. The, the Spirit comes and completes, but each person in the Trinity, they all do different roles, but it's in order to achieve the same purpose of salvation. Unity doesn't mean sameness, right? You can do very different things and still be united if you're united around the same purpose. But thirdly, you see here that they are united in that they all love one another. 
just got to read verse 23, verse 24, verse 25. And Jesus speaks about the great love that they all have for one another, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They, they pour love out and into one another. They've been doing it for all eternity past. They, they celebrate the roles of one another as they all work together towards this great purpose. So three ways do you see that Jesus prays that we'd be one as God is one, in heaven, in purpose, and in love. That's Jesus' prayer, right? Now, I don't know about you, but as I look around, it seems to me that maybe this prayer still needs to be answered in some ways. Uh, there are some churches that have clearly deviated from the purpose. Some churches that have stopped lifting Jesus up and stopped having mission as their purpose. There are some churches that have forgotten how to love others that might do things different to them. But it's kind of easy to point the fingers out there, isn't it? And say, well, they've got that wrong or they've got that wrong. I think the real question, I guess the reality that we need to ask is, well, how am I actually going with my relationships, with my own sense of Christian unity with other Christians? See, if my spiritual reality is that I already am one with those who are Christian, if my future eternity is that I will be forever as one with all those who believe in the message of Jesus, then I've got to ask myself, am I actually reflecting that unity now? You know, this question really challenged me earlier in this year. I listened to a Bible talk by a guy called Andrew Cadet, who uh, works for an organisation called City to City. Um, an organisation, actually, that I've started working for part-time uh, because I was so convicted by this very question. Um, and in that talk, Andrew asked a pretty simple question, but he was kind of talking about different denominations, and, but also talking about how we relate in our own individual congregations. And he just said this, he said, if we're all going to be in heaven together, then can we start trying to get along together now? Can we do that? And I don't know what challenges you about that, um, but most of us, I take it, have been Christian for a bit of time now. I assume, like me, you've had relationships gone bad with other Christians. Maybe you've had a church that you've left on really bad terms. Maybe you know people that have left this church on really bad terms. Maybe you've had disagreements or arguments or splits. And we, we all know how awful that is, right? It just sucks. Like, it just really does. It's like, it's like when you have a fight at home. <laughs> you, know, you have a fight with your wife. It just sucks. Um, it's awful. And you know, you know that's not how it's supposed to be. And Jesus says here that's not how it's supposed to be. In fact, in fact, Jesus says if we're not united, then it's going to affect what the world thinks of him. Did you see that in verse 23? 
Jesus prayed that we might be brought to complete unity. Why? Verse 23. So that the world will know him. Know that God has sent him. And that we're loved by him. If we're not united, it, it, it doesn't just change the dynamic in here. It actually changes our mission to the lost out there. You know, a lot of people um, do kind of church surveys, church research, uh, and um, to try and work out, you know, why some churches grow and why some don't, why, what seems to attract uh, people to different churches. And uh, in lots of those surveys, there's pretty much one question across the board um, that's always asked. And the question is something like this, why, why do you come to this church? Or, or why did you come back, you know, after your first visit? It's a really interesting question, um, but there's, there's actually one really consistent answer to that question. Why did you come back after your first visit? Um, Andy's not here today. I was going to tell him it's not the music. <laughs> it's actually not. Music's about number three, really. Um, it's not the music that brings people back. Um, it's not even the teaching. Um, that's generally about number two. The number one consistent answer that brings people back after a first visit is that they felt loved when they came. It's that they they walked into that group of people and they went, there is a real sense of love here. It feels like a home. Love is what brings people back. Love is a testimony to Jesus. And we know this, right? I mean, if you go into a church and it's divisive and it's hostile, if you can't see love there and if it feels a bit like a broken home, you're not going to go back, right? And you're not going to go back because you probably will conclude that that Jesus isn't at work there. Because the the infighting and the gossip, that's exactly the same as whatever's going on out in the world. But friends, if we can gather in such a way that diverse different people, people from all different backgrounds and ages and ethnicities, but I think particularly people who've got past hurts and griefs, if we can gather together in such a way that outsiders might come in and say, man, this feels like a home, then I take it that verse 23 might start coming true. That the world will know that Jesus has been sent. And that's why Jesus prays, right? He he prays because he knows we need it. (laughs) He prays that we'd be one in order that the world might know him through us. So I guess, friends, the question is, well, how do we do this? How, How do we unite together? How do we start having that sense of home now? How do we get over past hurts? Well, I think the answer is actually at the end of verse 23. Uh, Do you see it there? Um, Jesus said, Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The only way I think that we are going to be able to love each other and unite in mission is if we first know how deeply loved by God we are. And I think the end of verse 23 
is just absolutely astonishing. Do you see it there? Jesus says to his father, you have loved them even as you have loved me. Do you get that? God the father loves you even as, just as, in the same way as, to the same depth as he loves his own son. And you think about how much God the father loves his own son. A lot, right? All eternity past, they've been heaping love on one another. And now he says, you are loved like that, to that degree. Now, I don't know about you, but I know for me in my heart, I find that hard to believe. I do. I find that hard to believe. If you're like me, um, you might find that hard to believe. Here's what I do in my heart. I go, no, no, no. God can't love me like that. Because he knows what I've done. He knows how I've lived. I mean, I, I can understand why he loves Jesus like that. Jesus is perfect, right? Of course he loved Jesus like that. But friends, here is the amazing truth of the gospel that we need to believe. God's love for us is never contingent on our goodness. Do you believe that? God's love is not dependent on our being good. God's love comes because he chooses to love us. So often we work that other way though, don't we? <laughs> so often our love is dependent on other people's goodness. Have you ever noticed that? Um, we, we have fights and divisions, right? We have lack of unity often, I think, because someone will do something to us that won't be good to us, they'll be bad to us, and so what do we do? We withdraw our love. Not God. God's love is not dependent on our goodness. Remember Romans 5 verse 8? God demonstrates his love for us in this. That while we were his enemies, Christ died for us. While we were really not good, while we were really bad, Christ died for us. That's when God demonstrated his love for us at the cross. Not when we were good, but when we were bad. So if you doubt that God loves you, then friends, look at the cross and believe. Take a fresh look at the cross and see that it's there that God gave up his one and only son so that all who believe in him will never perish but have eternal life, have a heavenly home with him. You don't know if God forgives you for the times that you've not had unity? Then look at the cross. Look at the cross and see that all of your sin has been paid for there. You want to know that, that God desires reconciliation and unity? Look at the cross. That's what it's for, right? In order that we would be reconciled to him and to one another as a result. It's only when we know how deeply loved and forgiven we are by God at the cross that we can then go and start loving and forgiving one another. Jesus says here in these verses, when we live knowing his love, when we unify around him and the great purpose of making him known, then this prayer will be being answered. 
So friends, maybe, maybe today it's worth asking the question, how do you need to respond to Jesus' prayer for you? Do you need to just take some time and ask the Holy Spirit to help you believe how deeply loved you are by God? Do you need to just ask him to give you a sense of it, a foretaste of that amazing love that we will forever experience when we're with him face to face? Well, maybe today the Spirit of God is saying that there's someone you need to reconcile with. There's someone you need to take the first step towards. Now, you can't control the way they react to that you can take the first step. You could reach out, admit that you've done wrong and ask for forgiveness and unity. Or maybe today you're just really aware that your life hasn't been around the great purpose of mission and holding Jesus up. So maybe today you want to just ask God to help you in that space. Maybe you want to ask him to give you courage to invite a friend to something like Faith Runs Deep or the Christmas Celebration Day. Maybe you just want to commit to praying regularly for non-Christians in your life. Or maybe you're here today and you know that you've never experienced the love of God that he has for you. And maybe today, as you think about the wonder of his death and resurrection for you, He's calling you home. And he's saying, come to me. I love you. I forgive you. And I want to give you life. Maybe you could pray to him. Pray with someone today. Jesus' great prayer here is that we would be one as he is one. That we would be united in purpose to lift Jesus up. And that we would love one another. So let me pray to that end. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you for your amazing goodness to us in the Lord Jesus. Father, while we were your enemies, Christ died for us. So that all our wrong, all our sin can be completely forgiven at the cross. Christ has risen for us so that we have the assurance of this incredible hope and home of heaven. And right now, Father, you give us your spirit so that we can live a life of love like Jesus lived. So, Father, please help us to respond to what you are saying to us today. And we pray that you do this in us by the spirit for Jesus' glory. Amen.